This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. You're listening to Behind the Markets on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Welcome back to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, and my next guest is Keith Wardrop, who is the Community Development Research Manager at the Philadelphia Federal Reserve Bank. He's one of the authors of a report of what are known as opportunity occupations. Keith, thanks for coming across town to our Wharton studio here. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's just start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got to the Philadelphia Fed, and what it is that you focus on there. Sure. So I'm the Community Development Research Manager at the Philadelphia Fed. I've been there for about eight years. And my department um, does work to promote community and economic development for low and moderate income communities. And so when when you're working to promote that development, and what are the to- type of topics that you researched in your past uh, before you got there? So I've done some research uh, prior to joining the Fed on affordable housing. Since joining the Fed, I've focused more on employment, labor markets, economic inclusion more generally, um, philanthropic grant making to support community development, um, the fiscal capacity of, of revitalizing cities in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. It kind of runs the gamut. Yeah. And so this this research on opportunity occupations, I think I saw you guys did a, your first paper maybe in 2015, and then you updated something for 2019. That's right. Maybe sort of outline as you see the broad spectrum of employment. Like what are what is it that you're that you're focused on in this new research? So um, if I could, I'll tell you a little bit about how, about how we came to this topic because I Great. think that's that's important context. Yeah. So as many of your listeners know, I'm sure, the, one of the Federal Reserve's functions is to promote maximum sustainable economic growth. And we know that uh, economic growth is stronger when everyone has an opportunity to participate. We also know that workers without a college degree are at a disadvantage in the labor market when compared with those who have a college degree when it comes to earnings and employment rates. And then lastly, we know that where you live directly affects your economic opportunities. It affects the types of jobs that are available. It affects how much they pay. And it also affects what kind of education employers are looking for when they're trying to fill those positions. So my colleagues and I wanted to do some research on, uh, that helps us understand the extent and nature of employment opportunities for the two-thirds of American adults who do not have a four-year college degree. I mean, what's interesting is there's some – and we'll drill into all this research. I mean, there's some narrative in the – the community, the finance community, that the Fed is they all their programs since the financial crisis of supporting, you know, with the QE program created this wealth inequality gap, and that it was all designed to support the equity markets, which went to the rich and not support the low income. It's interesting that your research is really showing that there's a big focus at the Fed on how do you solve inequality and how can you well how can you promote the, the the shrinking of that gap. That's right. Each of the 12 uh, Federal Reserve Banks has a community development function like ours, and we're focused on economic mobility and resilience for low-income communities specifically. Yeah, I mean, it's great. Nobody probably really talks about that. They talk about the QE programs. They talk about the interest rate policies. We we are a well-kept secret. No, so let's, let's drill into it. So what are, as you think about the trends that are creating that growing gap, I mean, what, what, how do you see you know, the unemployed, there's a lot of research on the unemployment trends for those with a college degree and those without. And I guess the college degree unemployment is at the, is well below even the, the general, even though we're at a 50-year low in unemployment, the one with a college degree is even lower. 
That's right. So, right. So, uh, what the the research from the BLS has shown is that um, workers or, or individuals without a college degree are almost twice as likely to be unemployed, even in the strong economy that we see today. And uh, they, workers with uh, with only a high school diploma make only about sixty cents on the dollar as compared to somebody with a college degree. So, I think it is important. As you mentioned, with uh, increasing inequality, to to uh, identify um, the jobs that are that do pay good wages, for uh, as I said, that the sixty eight percent of American adults who don't have a four year degree, and there is some of this concern as you think about trends of job growth over time. There's fears about automation and how is that going to take jobs. Um, now, there, there's some also thoughts about what are the types of jobs that can be automated and where where will there be skills? And I'm sort of looking at some of your lists of the top, what you call opportunity occupation. Maybe sort of walk through some of the key findings of the uh, – what, what defined the opportunity occupation, then we'll go through what some of them were. I'd love to. So we studied 121 of the largest metropolitan areas in the country. And we found that about 22% of total employment meets our definition of opportunity employment. Yeah. And by opportunity employment, what, what we mean, uh, we're talking about jobs that do not require a four-year college degree and that typically pay above the national annual median wage after we adjust for the cost of living. So the national annual median wage in 2017 was around $37,700. And it, um, when you adjust for the cost of living, it falls to roughly $33,000 in Springfield, Missouri, which was the lowest cost metro, and um, over 47000 almost $48,000 in San Jose, California, which was the highest cost metro. And New York's got to be got to be close to high up there. It's, it's right up there with San Jose. That's right. And what about that's Philadelphia, right. our, our, our hometown here? Philadelphia is – I think the cost of living in Philadelphia is 6% above the national average. Okay. So so the, the, the wage threshold – we call it the wage threshold um, – yeah. was around $39,000 or so in Philadelphia. And so for employment that fell above that wage threshold, we divided it into two groups um, – Opportunity employment, if it didn't require a college degree, and then higher paying work that does require a college degree. And for employment that falls below that wage threshold, we classify that, of course, as lower lower wage employment. And so what mm. are the if what are the types of jobs that fall into this opportunity employment that have that above average wage, but you don't need the college degree? Right. So I think this is one of the most surprising findings um, for, for the reader. Uh, I think people often um, – consider jobs and uh, blue-collar manual labor, maybe manufacturing, um, to be uh, the, the sort of top-of-mind jobs when we give this definition. And what we find is that um, the kind of work, the kinds of occupations really run the gamut. They, they vary uh, greatly. So we find jobs in healthcare, such as registered nurses and licensed practical nurses. We find jobs in the skilled trades, like carpenters and electricians. Supervisory positions, so supervisors of retail sales, supervisors of construction workers, um, and then jobs in office and administra administrative support, um, computer support specialists. Uh, really, you, you can find an opportunity occupation almost anywhere you look. Um, but as I said, only about 22% of total employment in, these, in the metro areas we studied meets our definition. I mean, it's interesting. I see on the list, um, you know, plumbers, pipe fitters, and steam fitters as the projected change for the next 10 years is the top projected change. And then Registered nurses being up there, that's demographics and the aging. We all need that. Heating, air conditioning, and refrigeration mechanics. I, I have a personal anecdote on that. Um, as you get older, you move to the suburbs, you get a, a refrigerator, and it, 
breaks down. <laughs> and <laughs> the guy who comes to fix it's like there's just there's so little of these people available. Like he's the last one in his company. I mean, it's sort of an interesting anecdote, but talking about more people need to go in these types of jobs. Right. So we were using, I think I think the, the numbers you're referring to are from the BLS. They are employment projections uh, between 2016 and 2026. And so the BLS sort of estimated how much um, work in each of these occupations is expected to grow. And what we found is that more than half of the 25 largest opportunity occupations are expected to grow faster than the overall economy. Uh, and you mentioned some, uh, the skilled trades and healthcare in particular seem to be well well placed for growth in the coming years. Um, and earlier you talked, we, you talked about automation. What we find is that only a handful of the largest opportunity occupations are considered to be at high risk of job loss as a result of automation. And those are primarily in office and administrative support, so jobs like secretaries and accounting clerks. Well, you see... One of them was the second on the largest opportunity occupations today with about a million jobs was heavy and tractor trailer truck drivers, which uh, if we're led to believe uh, self-driving cars, maybe more of these self-driving automobiles, you think that in 10 years time is a realistic thing that they'll they'll be able to automate? So uh, our report does focus on sort of the economy today. It absolutely makes sense to look forward. And I believe that others have have projected that truck the uh, jobs in truck driving should uh, fall off a little bit because of the automation automation that you're talking about. How soon do you think that'll come? Do you think? You know that that's hard to project. There is actually someone on Penn's campus, Steve Vaselli. I'm not sure if you've met him. Not yet. But he uh, he has studied for the last number of years exactly the issue of automation and and truck driving. It, when you think about what else the implications of your research is? I mean, how do you think people? I mean, what should use the the findings? Like, what if if people are listening in and they want one of these jobs? Like, what are the types of things that people can should be trying to do? Now, that's a great question. I, you know, I think how one wants to make a living is a really individualized and, and personal decision. But I think the reality is, and, and the statistics show, that not everyone can or chooses to go to college. Uh, I think it's important to put information in the hands of today's students, uh, today's workers, and the community at large um, so that um, everyone has awareness about the types of work that that um, that does pay a decent wage and that one doesn't need a college degree for. It might help, and we can talk about sort of the community-level implications later, but it might help um, economic development efforts when, when communities are thinking about what types of jobs are we going to try to support and grow um, it might help, uh, like I said, the students um, consider a career path or a career destination and, and, and learn more about the ways into, into, that, um, into that job. Uh, you know, I mentioned that the types of work uh, is really varied across the largest 25 opportunity occupations. But you may have noticed as I was uh, reading down the list that very few of these jobs can someone um, – expect to attain without some level of on-the-job experience, yeah. education, or training after high school. I mean, what was interesting, we were just talking about it before we, we started broadcasting here. Um, we, in our first, you know, a few years ago, we had uh, Pat Harker, the Philadelphia Fed president. He was a Wharton dean. And, you know, I got to know him when he was here at Wharton. And he was on the show. And it might have been surprising. People go back and listen to our, our replay of that from a few years ago. He talked about Having been a dean of Orton, less people should actually go to job 
college, more people should actually go to these apprenticeship type on the job trainings. Um, is that something that you see? Is that something that you're trying to advocate for from the Philadelphia Fed perspective? You know, I, I, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't suggest that there is a one size fits all approach. I really do think it's a personal decision for each for each student, yeah. uh, each worker. Uh, I, I don't think it makes sense to go to college because that's what that's what one is supposed to do. I think that to the extent that um, you know a seventeen or eighteen year old can 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 consider what they'd like to do professionally, and then be thoughtful about the kind of education, training, or experiences that are required to to achieve that goal. Yeah. And if it, if a job if 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 someone wants to be a carpenter or wants to be a um, you know a truck driver, uh, I, then I'm not sure that college is a good inv- a four year college degree is a good investment. Yeah. And is there is there enough apprenticeships? Like, are the companies doing enough? How can they? How how can you try to help broaden the the outreach there? You know, I I feel like um, we hear a lot about uh, the inability of employers to find qualified workers, right? And uh, I can't speak to any individual case, but I can say that employers might be able to be a little more proactive and work with. Um, community colleges work with the workforce development sector. If they're having difficulty finding skilled workers, they can sort of co-create the curricula to make sure that those who are receiving the workforce training have the skills they need um, to to fill their open positions productively. So I think that I think that uh, employers could play a more active and engaged role potentially yep. in the training of workers. Was there anything on the cities uh, that was interesting in terms of where you know people are looking for different cities? Where were these opportunity jobs higher? Where were they lower in terms of you know if you if you're you know without the college degree but you want to make these better wages, where to where to move? You no, know, I think that's a really important point, and I'm glad you asked the question. Um, as I said, about 22 percent of employment overall meets our definition of opportunity employment. But when you look at the levels regionally, you see a lot of differentiation. So um, the high that we found was in Toledo. 34% of employment in Toledo meets our definition of opportunity employment. And the low was in Washington, D.C., where it's 146 hmm. So there's a 20, 20 percentage point spread between those two places. All you have are politicians and lawyers. Well, exactly. That's right. I mean, so in, in, in Washington, D.C., you do have a lot of higher wage work. But a lot of it requires uh, a bachelor's degree or, or more, yeah. right? Uh, in Toledo, their economy is a little more dependent on manufacturing. Uh, and so there are just more uh, more of these types of jobs available in the Toledo economy. But it's also worth mentioning that we found that um, places with lower cost of living had a higher level of opportunity employment. That is interesting. Should, and then your second highest was in Anchorage, Alaska, where uh, – I've actually had the opportunity to go to Alaska for work a few times, and it's a, I like to keep going back. It's not easy to get to, but it's a, it would it would be a nice lifestyle out there. That's I've never been. I've never been, I've not been to many of the, of the 121 metros we studied, unfortunately. But to, we did find, uh, unlike Anchorage, we found that uh, there were a disproportionate number of of, um, of high opportunity places in the Midwest. Yeah, because in the Midwest, costs are generally lower. Uh, and the wages are are more than adequate to cover those costs, whereas in places like, you know, San Jose and New York, as we were talking about earlier, the costs are so high that the wages don't fully compensate for those higher costs. Um, I was looking at so that you had 
to the point on lower wage employment, um, there was sort of an interesting stat that you know the the general amount of lower wage employment was um, was it fifty million jobs, fifty percent? It was around fifty percent. That's right, and that's kind of by construction. That's sort of how that we did the methodology, right? Because we set our wage threshold at the national annual median. Yeah. And we did adjust it for cost of living, but by and large, you're going to have half of employment fall below that level and half yeah. above. Yeah. And then you had a, a stat on eight of the 11 places um, in terms of having 60 to 70 percent low wage. Like So instead of half, it's like right. two-thirds to 70 percent in low wage, and, and of that was California and Florida. Anything about those two states, California and Florida, that had that characteristic? You know, I think it's it's just a collision of higher cost and lower wage, lower industries and in, in, um, that that pay lower wages. Uh, the, I think the highest in that regard was Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, actually, and almost seventy three percent of employment mm-hmm. in Myrtle Beach was classified as as lower wage employment. So when you think about what the Philadelphia Fed or even just the Fed group generally is going to use with all this research, so you've done some interesting work. How How is the Fed going to use it? So I think doing the research is sort of the first step. And in, in my community development department, we also have an outreach team. And, um, and it's the outreach team's role to help us share the research in the community. So I, I take every opportunity I get, including this one, yeah. to help um, talk about to talk about the research, to help um, spread the messages. And I think what we hope in an ideal scenario is that we can um, use the research to start important conversations. We have a um, we have a convening role. We can host events and invite community leaders and stakeholders to um, to discuss the research to see how it resonates with the, with them and to see if there are any local solutions to expanding employment opportunities for less educated workers. I mean, it sounds like you even got to get it before they leave high school. I mean, it's sort of a matter of on the job. Well, it's preparing people as they go from high school to what are they going to do in their future lives and really trying to help career trajectories of, hey, you know, and especially with the whole student debt dynamics, right? There's this big problem in student debt and you say people are taking out all this money and are they getting training for something that's going to be productive? Right, exactly. And I, and I, I feel like that um, we shouldn't lead students to believe that when they leave high school, they have one of two options. They can either go to college or they can make uh, only a little bit of money, right? There, there is some space in between those two options. Yeah. And this research, I think, kind of fills that void and, and does provide some some career options and career paths to, to students who, again, for whatever reason, uh, do not go to college. Um, and how, how do you respond to the criticism that the feds created this inequality? Do you, do you buy into any of that, that argument? You know, th- thankfully, I don't often get that criticism. Um, you know, our work does focus specifically on on um, on, re- on research and outreach um, to the uh, low income communities and 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 their and inter- intermediaries. Um, that that I think that question's a little above my pay grade. Well, it's right in what you're working on. I mean, it's um, because you're working on you're you're showing that the Fed is not just thinking about that. They're working on everything, um, but the, they do get criticized for that. And I hope this, like you said, I hope this is proof, proof positive that, yeah. that the Fed does have a role in, uh, in expanding economic resilience and mobility for these, for these communities and the extent that we, can, that we can share this work, again, through this, through this interview and others. Yeah. Um, hopefully we can have an impact. Um, what did any other things on, when you think about the broad economic trends and developments that you mentioned, you had 
in your prior lives done some more work on affordable housing? Like, is is housing affordable today? Like, where you know interest rates are in some ways. As I mean, I think about the cost of debt and what you can get for where interest rates are, and it it that helps with affordability. But how how are you looking at anything anything from? How this work on jobs leads to affordable on, on the housing side? Sure, no, that, that that's a good question because the housing affordability does, or the cost of housing ties directly into this research. Um, in that, the, the housing is typically the largest item on, in somebody's budget, yeah. right? And housing affordability is a function both of the cost of housing, uh, but also, um, but also the wages, the income that someone has to pay for it, right? Uh, and what we what we found is that um, uh, because Opportunity employment is less common in high-cost places. Communities could consider uh, modest wage increases to bring to to um, bring costs and, and incomes into better alignment, or potentially consider affordable housing solutions to lower the costs. Right? If if wages are are are, um, are not as as negotiable or or, or stickier, uh, potentially lowering the cost of housing could make lower wage employment more sustainable for a worker. Um. Any other places uh, of research that, that you're focused on? What's on your further agenda? You know, one thing that, that some colleagues of mine and I are looking into is um, trying to um, analyze the skills that employers are asking for when they're, when they're filling jobs. So one data set that we used in this research was purchased from Burning Glass Technologies. Okay. And Burning Glass uh, scrapes the internet uh, for all online job postings and converts each job posting into a record in a data set that tells us where the job's located, what the job what the job is, and what level of education employers are looking for, and additionally, what skills they're looking for in the applicants. And what we found in this research is that um, for some of these middle skills opportunity occupations, the level of education that employers are seeking varies widely from mm-hmm. metro to metro. So, for example, for executive secretaries, in one metropolitan area, 26% of jobs were available to somebody without a college degree. In another, it was 84%. Wow. Right? So a Big huge spread. difference. Uh, and we think New it's York pro- is with the college degree and somewhere in the middle of the country without. By and large. Yeah. Right? And, and, and there are a couple of rational explanations for this, right? It could be that um, more sophisticated, higher-level work clusters and higher-wage economies like, like New York, right? So, uh, so truly, a worker does need a college degree more often in New York than, than in Des Moines, let's say. Um, but it could, there's also some research to suggest that um, some employers may be up-credentialing, so they may be asking for a college degree even if the work, the day-to-day work doesn't require one. Yeah. Um, and so some future research that, I, that um, we hope to come out with later this year, early next year, will look at the specific skills that employers are asking for. And uh, in order to see if, uh, first of all, if, if it makes sense that in some places someone needs a college degree and in other places someone doesn't. But then also to potentially identify um, career origins and destinations in a metropolitan area that have very similar skills but different levels of pay. So if we could find a way to connect low, someone in a low-wage job um, to a higher-wage job that requires very similar skills, uh, then that's, that's what we're hoping to, to achieve through our next report. Any other big-picture things on where you're focused on and, and what and ha- people want to get involved or, or get engaged with uh, the research that your group is focused on? 
You know, I would encourage I would encourage any of your listeners who are interested to learn more about this research or any other any other research that were uh, that's underway to to contact me. Again, it's at the, I'm in the community development department at the Philadelphia Fed. Uh, I would love to talk more about the work and and if uh, and and share uh, share the lessons and and get a conversation started. Very good. We've been talking with Keith Wardrip, who's the community development research manager at the Philadelphia. Federal Reserve Bank. Very interesting new research, uh, and it's great to have you coming down across from across town from the Philadelphia Fed. Thanks for coming down. Thank you, Jeremy. Have a great week, everybody. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.